Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to another episode of Simply Finance with Shane White. Before we jump into today's episode, today's episode is brought to you by Routine. Routine, the creator of morning routines and other products such as green superfoods, vitamin D, apple cider, vinegar, gummies, elderberry gummies. Check them out. They have some great products. Uh, Their proprietary product that I use the most by far is morning routine. Really, it rehydrates you. It's the simplest way to explain what it does, but it also has a lot of additional benefits. When we sleep, you actually lose between a pound to a pound and a half of water. Most of that coming from just expelling vapors and sweating during your sleep. When we get up and we have a cup of coffee first thing in the morning, a lot of times that makes us more dehydrated. First thing in the morning, what I do is I, I toss one of these single serve, uh, easy tear open packs of morning routine into a cup of water. Each single serve pack contains half an organic lemon, one tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, Himalayan sea salt, all six essential electrolytes, and most importantly, no sugar. A lot of hydration products out on the market have lots of sugar in them to make them taste better. These guys figured out a way to do it without it. It really has become a part of my routine, so check them out. You can go to yourroutine.com. That link is in the show notes. And you can use code SHANEWHITE30 uh, to get 30% off your first order. Today's episode is also brought to you by Elite Suites. Excited to have Elite Suites as part of the group uh, here on Simply Finance with Shane White. I was stoked to add them as a sponsor. Uh, love what that team is building. Elite Suites is redefining the way we think about sweets with their Elite Donuts. That's right, guys. The Elite Donut is a better-for-you donut that is packed with 13 grams of protein. It's gluten-free. It's keto-friendly, and it only contains one gram of sugar. That is correct, folks. I said that. That is a real thing. This does exist. The Elite Donut is delicious. Uh, It comes in chocolate, cinnamon sugar, and birthday cake. We always have some in our house. They are an easy way to have that craving of a donut, of a sweet that you really want, but you don't want to sacrifice all the negative side effects of having a real donut. Like I said, it's packed with 13 grams of protein, it's gluten-free, they're keto-friendly, and only one gram of sugar. Elite Sweets, you can get yours today at EliteDonut.com. That link is in the show notes as well. Or you can go to Amazon and get it. uh, Get Elite Sweets Donuts on Amazon shipped to your door with Prime Delivery. The link to uh, to Elite Sweets Amazon page is also available in the show notes. And Elite Suites is offering all of the listeners of Simply Finance with Shane White 30% off on both EliteDonut.com as well as Amazon, which is kind of cool. You can use code ShaneWhite30, put that in the show notes as well, and that gets you 30% off either or, so either EliteDonut.com or on Amazon. So pretty cool. The code works on both platforms. All right, everybody. Today's episode is with Scott Bennett. He is the CEO, the founder of Invest With Rules. He was on here once before, and today's episode is pretty fun. He actually presents some stuff, so if you guys want to bounce over to YouTube, um, and I'll add the link to that in the show notes here if you're just listening to the audio version. He actually walks through some charts and a little bit of the math. He actually like put some material together, which is pretty cool, uh, about some of the stocks that I have put in the COVID stock market rebound tracker, which is a free resource 
It's a free link that is in the show notes of every episode since I started this podcast. And you guys can check it out. So he kind of goes through and evaluates uh, what I did well and what I didn't. And honestly, I loved it. It was great. It was great to get a professional like Scott to take a look at uh, some of the investments I've made uh, since COVID started and since this uh, podcast was kicked off. So without further ado, give it up for Scott Bennett. All right, Scott Bennett, welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you. It's so great to see you, Shane. Good to see you as well, my friend. It's been a long time. Right before we started recording, we realized it's been, I mean, not quite, but almost a year since we've talked, which is crazy. Um, we've emailed some back and forth, but like actually on the podcast, it's been a year. So welcome back to the show. Well, thank you very much for having me. I, I really I followed your journey and you really... Uh, uh, it's so interesting to hear from all these founders and to learn a lot about kind of the consumer world that I'm not that familiar with. So I've learned a lot. So thank you. A hundred percent. I appreciate you listening, man. I appreciate you always pointing your audience. And we have some, I think we have some synergies between each other's audiences. So I think it's cool for people who do listen. Um, for people who don't know you or maybe just weren't listening to the podcast back then, would you mind giving everyone a little intro to who you are? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Scott Bennett, I am the founder of Invest With Rules. And with Invest With Rules, primarily it is an investment newsletter. Um, there is a free version and a premium version. But the main benefit is there's so many people that I've run across. And I had a, a great 16-year career at Fidelity Investments. And what I found was that an awful lot of people were kind of winging it. So when it comes to stocks or index funds, uh, they were unfortunately buying and selling at the wrong time. Um, so really what my role is uh, with Invest With Rules is to, live, to deliver rules to help people uh, to, to buy with more clarity, to sell with a lot less worry. And the way I do that is really unique is I follow billion dollar fund managers and I deliver the trends and the specific stocks that they're buying month after month after month. So that is how I deliver a little bit of an edge in the stock market. Got it. Got it. And for people listening who maybe like they hear that and they're like, well, how the hell does he do that? Um, can you give everyone a little bit of background? Just like you don't have to give all the proprietary stuff and you've built a lot of stuff. So I know, I know you went through this last time a little bit, but at a really high level, like people who are maybe newer to the stock market, like what does that mean? Yeah, absolutely. So what's really interesting is if any fund manager, and that could be, a hedge fund, a family office, a mutual fund. Um, it could be a, a private bank. It could be anyone that manages more than $100 million. They have to show their cards. And what's really interesting is so at the end of the quarter, so let's just take like a normal calendar year. So like January to March, uh, they, they're doing buying and selling. And what's really interesting is these humongous funds, they need to buy slowly. So these billion dollar funds, they can't just go out and buy a position today like, like we can. Um, okay. They're going to move the price too much. And they have some of them have hundreds of billions of dollars. So at the end of the quarter, 45 days later, the public is given kind of what they did. And what's really interesting, if you ever watch like CNBC or, or Fox News or Bloomberg, they'll say, this is what Warren Buffett, or this is what these large fund managers bought and sold, and should you too. And it's really alluring, and it's really interesting. But what I have found is a unique and proprietary way to figure out what they're doing 
30 days later. So there, there is no insider trading uh, where everything is ethical and up to, up to snuff. But what I would just simply say is that most people are finding this out usually three and a half months late. Um, there are, there's a process in which I share that, that covers what they're doing uh, a lot quicker. And that helps my readers and members to, to get a little bit ahead. And as the thought is, is am I late? And the answer I would tell you is, is no, because again, these funds need to buy and sell slowly over time. And because of that, that gives us the ability to get in before they're done accumulating and then get out before they absolutely slam the price down. Got it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So essentially what you're doing is following smart money is like another simple way to say it, right? Like you got the Warren Buffett's of the world buying all sorts of different positions. You're just kind of jumping on the ride and, and hopefully beating a lot of people in. Yeah. and Or out, you know, I guess. Yeah. Because most people, what they simply do is they get a tip from a family or a friend. Um, they buy what they know, which is a, not a bad way to go. Because if you like the product, I mean, I remember I was on in the early 2000s, I was on the, uh, the green line in Boston listening to my, 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 my iPod. And I was like, this thing's pretty <laughs> awesome. I can put 30 songs on it. Yeah. And I can listen to this a hundred times in a row until eventually I get to my job, uh, until I get to Fidelity. But the reality is, I mean, you could have bought Apple and sat back and had the world's greatest ride. But the reality is, is what tends to happen to most investors is when the market pulls back, you get shaken out at the world's worst time. But the level of confidence greatly increases when you know there's huge money behind you still buying. Don't don't get out. Or if a good example of this past year is we've had a lot of headline news with the Chinese stocks and the Chinese economy. So it's whether it's regulation on technology, personal data or video games or so many different like um, what is it? The private education um, these huge funds were, were selling China for months and months and months and months. And it looks like some of that's letting up, but this is going to kind of say, like, okay, well, maybe I'm in the wrong area or maybe I'm spot on. And this will just give you that extra level of confidence that a lot of investors really could use. So you do make those big profits versus getting shaken out and trading too much. Got it. And, and would you say that you're kind of like, your world is really in this medium between and, and I'm probably butchering the terms here, but like I think of a lot of the investing that I tend to do is what I what I would consider like longer term. Like I, when I get, I put money in my account like every two weeks, for example, and I'll just like, I always have like a plethora and I have that tracker where I have like companies I'm real, I just bullish on and I'll just like throw money at a bunch of them usually. And like, I, I never really sell though. I'm just like always buying I don't know if I may be leaving something on the table potentially because I could get in and out of different things um, versus there's like that, which is what I tend to do. I'm, just, I'm thinking like long-term wealth, just like keep putting money into it. Um, and then I also have a lot of people who listen to this that do a lot of like day trading. So are, are you kind of in this like medium of those two where it's like you're you're holding on to some, you're selling some others over different periods of time? Yeah, it's a great question. So what I, I do land somewhere in the middle. So I found that my typical client on the, I have a premium membership. Um, they tend to be somewhere in the middle too, where some of them are more uh, trading oriented and some of them are more longer term. So what I've, another item that I developed is something that I call the trend roadmap. 
Uh, and very simply, what it what it helps me to do at a very high level, it's a multi time frame. So I look at weekly data, and I'm also looking at monthly data. And I'm I'm using it is more of a momentum model, but it's a secondary item that I apply to my process. So pretty much what it's helping me to do is to say, is now a good time to buy, sell, or hold? And what stage is something in? So the way my model works is definitively today, every single investment is in one of nine stages. And if you know exactly what stage it's in, you'll know if it's time to buy, sell, or hold. And granted, things can change over the next several days and weeks. But by having these, what these billion dollar funds are doing as the primary engine of your decision, then you apply kind of a secondary application of, okay, well, based on kind of human behavior, where is this stock? So um, as an example, what I would say is um, that will then give you that added level of confidence. Okay, okay, I, I have my paycheck. I have this much money to deploy into stocks. Well, first, which ones are the billion dollar funds buying? would be my first question. And then my second question is, okay, well, which one is in more of a lower risk entry area or entry zone that you should be deploying? So if you leave it up to, um, I guess I'll turn to you. So when you make your every biweekly decision, where does the money usually go and how do you make those decisions? That's a good question. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying these days to be riskier I've realized like, it's funny. And this, this is like something I reflected on recently where I was like, I turned 30 in about a month. And I was like, it's funny to think that like, I've been out of school, I got a college for eight, almost eight years now. Um, and like, I've invested a decent amount. And like, I feel like I've, you know, we've done a good job saving and investing and all that fun stuff. But like, I'm like, man, my twenties, like, I could have been so much riskier. Like I, like, looking back, I'm like, you know, I, I think I built a great base, but like, even if I lost all of that, and I, you know, you wouldn't if you, if you even in some of the riskiest positions, um, you know, I, I feel like I didn't take any like real huge risks, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, and not that's a bad thing either. I think I've been probably like maybe a little more risk averse. Um, but then at the same time, I don't know, I'm, I'm, there's like a, I would say like a handful to like maybe like 15 stocks that I just feel like I think over the next decade, two decades, they're just going to continue to just explode. And I guess those ones, I don't know what you would consider, but like the, the Amazons of the world. And that's because I work really closely with Amazon with my day job. And so I just know where it's going and I just, I don't see what's going to slow it down. Um, the Teslas, some of those, I think some people think are riskier, but I just, I guess I'm just bullish on them. So maybe to some degree, it's a little less uh, science and a little more art. Um, Cause it's not necessarily that I'm like re- pulling all the data on my end and like double checking metrics as much as, as I do with like new investments. Um, I like to look at the health of something when I get into it. And then if I'm bullish on it, as long as in my, in my history of investing, as long as the, like either the macro market or the, just like anything specifically with that company, as far as like leadership changes or strategic changes of like the direction. And again, maybe that's because I'm thinking like 2030, I'm always trying to think like real big picture, like, okay, I'm in 2021, where's Amazon going to be in 2050. And if it's worth like putting X amount of dollars every two weeks into that over 30 years, like where, where am I going to be? And I, maybe it's funny. Cause I feel like at my age, a lot of people are more worried about like, what can I buy today and sell tomorrow to make more money? And I, I've just never been super interested in that. I don't know why, but that's just me. 
Yeah. Uh, so I can't take, I, I still non-practicing, but I, I, I am a certified financial planner. So, well, first happy birthday in a month. Oh, um, thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> my question to you, cause I've actually witnessed this a lot when I used to work with um, younger and clients when I used to work at Fidelity, but why would you say that you maybe haven't taken as much risk as you could have? Is there, what, what holds you back? I think um, it's always been, it's a great question. I think it's probably been because I was one of those people, and this, this is funny, I've probably never said this on here before. I was one of those people in college where like every, I would like work all summer and make enough money to like spending money, I would say for the year. Before I knew much about money, before I got a finance degree and started working in finance, like I would like spend all of, I think that was basically like, I was like, oh, I have this to spend throughout the school year. So essentially what happened was I got out of school, graduate with a finance degree and go to work my first, you know, W2 job. And like, I'm starting off at like essentially zero money. Like I'm 22 and I have zero money besides like a brokerage account. My grandpa created for me, like legitimately. So like starting at zero and like, you know, I was about to get engaged two years later. So saving for a ring and needing to like move out of my parents' house. Like, it's funny to think that's only eight years ago. But like that's where I, that was my starting point. Like where a lot of my friends that now that I that we talk about all this stuff with my buddies, I realized that a lot of them like they were always like saving or investing, even high school and college. And it's no no fault of anyone. It was just like that was just like the way my I was thinking. So I think I was spending, I was just overspending and under saving and under investing. Um, so getting out and starting there, I think I was like I just need to build this base. And I think I've I'm I'm still the kind of person like my wife is. I love her to death. She she's always the one in our relationship that pushes us to like take a little risks and things and try things and, and it always pays off. Um, and I'm always the one that's like, oh no, we could save like this much more. We should have this much more in our savings or this much more invested. Like I'm always that person. So we're a great balance. But yeah. I think that's what slows me down is I think I've you know whether that's in my marriage or in uh, just in life. I think I, I after I started making money and budgeting and realizing how the whole process works, I. I and I'm talking a lot here. I, I think, I don't know. I think, and I also, I think I've, I've realized that like, and I think I get this from Gary Vee. He kind of drilled this into my head when I first got out of college, but it's like thinking, thinking quick and also thinking long at the same time. Like I know what I need to get done this today and this week, but like really, hopefully if nothing crazy goes wrong, I don't get sick or anything like that. Like I'm going to be around for a long time. So what can I do today? That's going to benefit me down the road. And I keep thinking that's like, just keep putting money into things you believe in. Just keep putting money into things you believe in. Like, don't look at your investment portfolio every day or every week, maybe once a month, a quarter, like really check on like the macro direction you're heading in. Um, I, and in I, part of this also, I think when it came to application and I got out of school, I started getting all like a bunch. I started really like getting in groups of friends that like all they talked about was like what they made today or like what they traded this week. And like, I started just to see that, like, I don't know, people like that, that I was hanging out with was bragging about all the wins, but not necessarily what they lost. And then at the end of the day, <laughs> how much are you really up over the year? And then, so I took a step back and I was like, I don't know. And then I just did the math and I was like, if I just keep putting X amount in every two weeks, keep it super simple. Like, it's like, I know I make X, I want to invest this much. And as long as like I'm outpacing the market, like give that a decade, two decades, three decades, like I'm going to be in a great spot. Um, but to your point, like you have a model that works that shows that like I, maybe I could be getting in and out of the same things I believe in and making a lot more money and I could be sitting on a lot more. I don't know. I think that's that's what's interesting to me too. Yeah. Well, I, for, thanks for sharing that. I, yeah, I sure. think 
part of it when I internalize it. So I had a similar situation where start with zero. I mean, I, I, I remember I would save all summer and then it was just like depleted over the course of the next few months when I was like a good example, when I was in college, I, I, I saved up so much over the summer and I was like, this is the, the year in college I'm studying abroad. And I went to Australia uh, and nice. I was, I, I did like the local Australian trips. This was incredible, but I had all these friends that clearly had this bucket of money that I didn't have. And they're like, Oh, this weekend we're going to Bali. And I was like, that's not in the cards. Like (laughs) I'm I'm going to the great barrier reef again, because it's awesome. And, and it's like, it's a train right away. So it was one of those things where it was like just a short drive. So it was one of those things where I sit back and I was like, well, I had a similar background, but what a lot of people do is uh, kind of these psychological um, triggers, which is if you own something, you find yourself on the internet looking for these confirmation biases of, okay, well, I like Amazon. So now I'm going to go read about Amazon and your brain leads you towards really good articles about Amazon. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then vice versa, if you're down in a position, you're going to start looking for these negative reasons of why you should potentially sell. And by having a system, whatever your system is, you're probably going to do really, really well. And What's also really hard, I I think beating the market consistently is really hard, especially this last decade, because I was just looking at it this morning, the top eight stocks in the S&P 500 are are all tech, and it's about 25% of the entire S&P 500. Um, I think when you get to number nine and 10, you finally get the financials in there. So you have to outpace the the, the Googles, the Apples, the Microsofts, the, the Amazons to actually beat the market. But then the next question is, will they repeat the next decade? Will these, will these really be $5 trillion valuation companies one day? And the answer is it's, it's very possible, but are there things lower in the list that could go up exponentially more? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I come back to, there's so many things that your brain will trigger you to, whether it's just headline news or what you like, um, but sometimes what you like doesn't always mean it's the world's best stock. So sometimes it could be the exact opposite. But I do sure. think that having a process, um, for me, um, knowing definitive truth that there are billion dollar funds picking up shares the last several months of a certain stock, it, I won't get shaken out. Um, and then I have a, a model that behind it, that secondary model I referred to that will just say, okay, well, is now the world's best time to be adding or subtracting shares. And that gives me that level to say, okay, well, this is going to keep me on the right side over a long period of time. And it's a repeatable process. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, and again, I obviously this is all arbitrary because it depends on what I'm in and how much, but like, let's just say the strategy that I'm currently using, and I'm not holding you to this, just more curious from your perspective, because this is obviously what you do. Um, If I were to, follow more so like invest with rules and maybe get in and out of the same positions. Like, I guess where my head goes and maybe this is just my lack of understanding too, of, of, of stocks to the degree that I I'm talking to, but it's, if you get in at a price, like if I, the, the, you know, buying Amazon back when I first got out of college in 2014, mm-hmm. if I'm getting in and out, in and out, in and out versus holding on to that initial price point, over decades and then hopefully eventually getting some dividends off of those is is there like mathematically from your experience 
is there more money to be made of getting in and out of positions than there is to buying and holding and continuing to grow your position? Or is that kind of a really, really huge question that you could probably spend an hour explaining? No, I, well, first I, as much as I'm giving those that are traders more kind of triggers to do things from a core and how I personally invest, and I share this openly, is I invest and I'm looking for the long term. So I'm really trying to buy a stock and hold it over very long periods of time to exponentially get those gains without overtrading. So okay. the core of, of my, my solution is, uh, I'll take a really good example, like uh, in March of this year, um, based upon billion dollar funds, there was a stock called Upstart Holdings, which now is quite popular. Um, but back then it was trading at $50 a share and they do artificial intelligence lending. So when we go for our, our, our typical loan, they, they do personal loans, they're getting into cars, who knows, they might get into mortgages one day, but they, we, they goes, it goes based on our FICO score. So this was just like, they use 1200 data points based upon knowing your, your, your banking history, knowing your questions you've answered, you've, you've been to college, you've never defaulted on a loan. So that was a stock that was, I mean, this is just an amazing example, but like we bought in around 50, um, it's up 500% since. Oh, there's wow. absolutely no reason to sell this stock at this moment. Um, there's, this stock has just done everything you could have asked for and then some for a new company that just was really volatile at the beginning because it was an, an, an IPO and has just exponentially exploded. Um, so for most of the names there haven't been that many sells um, in my process. The only reason I've sold is just um, to manage the downside risk, to not let one position get out of hand, to be more the loss of that one position to negatively impact the portfolio by more than 1%. So just to have some sort of a guardrail, if, if you're wrong or if fund managers are wrong, um, I mean, the reality is, is that there's always the chance, it's very slim, but there's always stocks that sneak by. Like we, mm -hmm. we've heard years ago, like WorldCom and Enron. There's always like, you can, you can cook the books for a while, but you can't do it forever. Yeah, um, right. So, so at some point they could get it wrong. So you need some version of a get out. So why you would invest for the longer term versus trading a ton? Well, first some people psyche, they just, they, they can't handle any losses. So trading helps them mentally to kind of, get their shorter term gains. I'd like them to be at a kind of a three to one ratio. So your gains are three times the size of your losses. So you need your losses to be really small if you're trading really fast um, and you're trading bigger dollars, you're taking more risk. So for some people that just fits, but for the people who are more of an investor type, it is just so much better for your taxes um, because if you trade within less than a year, you're paying not capital gains rate, you're, you're paying rates based upon like you're an employee at a company playing, paying W-2 rates. So whatever your tax bracket is. But if you- Oh, are you really? Trade, I guess I didn't realize that. This is specifically in a non-retirement account. Okay, so yeah. If you're it's like a using, Robinhood. Like people listen to this, yeah. a lot of people use Robinhood. Yeah, okay. Exactly. But if you hold it for one year and one day, you're now paying capital gains rates, which is typically for most people, 15%. At the high end, it's 20 versus let's say 30% of your, your Fed and your state rates. So, oh, so if you're day trading, you can expect essentially it's ordinary income. Yeah. Wow. Oh, I didn't realize that. I didn't know that. 
but I mean, don't get me wrong. If, if like, if someone were to come to you and say, here's a bonus check for, for however much it is, would you accept it? Of course you would. If it was a trade, you'd still accept it despite the taxes. Yeah. But what if you could hang on to that bonus check for a year and a day and then pay half the taxes? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that alone, like losing that much in additional taxes, I mean, you have to make that much more in earnings, which is to offset just holding on to more. That's interesting. I guess I yeah. never did that math before. Yeah. In a retirement account, no big deal. There's no taxes. It's all deferred, whether it's deferred tax-free or just deferred paying it later, like a traditional or 401k. But mm. for Roth, it's just, just tax-free. But in a non-retirement account, you have that uphill battle of taxes. Got it. Love that. Okay. Great insight. Um, that's really helpful. So I think the next thing we wanted to kind of bounce over to was you've prepared some really cool stuff for everyone listening. We will definitely try to walk you through this for every, everyone who wants to bounce over and watch this on, on YouTube. We're about 38 minutes into the episode. So Scott, uh, he put some really cool stuff together, uh, to kind of walk us through like what his process looks like. And if you want to follow along, um, he'll kind of walk you guys through this. So the first time we've ever done a little screen share, for the live audience. So thanks for doing this, Scott. Yeah. So again, my website is investwithrules.com. Um, again, just a disclaimer, again, just, I have to do this is just, I don't personally know your financial situation, your background, um, your Fair risk enough. tolerance. So always, this is educational in nature that there's always risk whenever you invest, just even just, I mean, there's no liability for Shane or myself. Okay. So I covered my process um, but the one thing I want to cover really quick are just the two rules that I follow. And I, I have a really cool segment that I, I actually took two stocks off of uh, Shane's um, COVID rebound tracker that he shares on his podcast. Oh, and I want to go it. over those and how it works. Very so cool. rule number one is really simple, is buy what billion dollar fund managers are buying in uptrends. And specifically what I do for paid members are I, I'm constantly looking month after month of I want to see millions and there's sometimes billions of dollars of shares purchased. So it's net. So I'm looking across dozens upon dozens of funds and I'm looking for these huge dollar buys. I want to see share increases and I want to see funds building positions and building them fast, meaning that they kind of, they want this stock badly. Mm. And then you have to look at the market capitalization or how big a company is. So how much are they buying divided by how big the company is? Because that will tell you, is this likely to really move the share price? So if you saw a couple hundred, let's say a hundred billion dollars, sorry, a hundred million dollars worth of buying of Amazon, it's like no impact whatsoever. But if it's more of a smaller mid cap company, it could make a meaningful difference. Got it. It makes a ton of sense. Yes. Vice versa, I'm looking at the same thing, but opposite. So rule number two is really simple. It's just sell what they're selling, sell what billion dollar fund managers are selling in downtrends. And so if I kind of go through my process, which will help kind of decipher how I think, um, if we go back to 2020, I'll go through this really fast is when I look at these reports, and again, I'm 30 days behind because we're, we're, we're doing everything ethically and legally. Um, when I look back at the January report, so the coronavirus started at the end of 2019. At this point, you just don't know, but you're seeing things like Moderna and Regeneron large purchasing. And you're like, well, huh, this is interesting. We, we now know that something's wrong in the back world. Back then we, we, we saw that? I did, yes. Wow. Oh, this that's, is, they're they're that's starting to build, they don't know who's going to be the winner, but they, they're starting to play, kind of spread their bets. 
And the, the interesting thing is I saw gutting, huge, violent selling in oil airlines, and it really exponentially got wild in February. So in February, they started to buy things like Amazon, uh, Slack, which is now part of Salesforce, uh, Zoom. Uh, they're now selling all things that are loan related. So high risk. So that would be more oil, more banks. Um, no one's going to Disney if there's a COVID breakout. So uh, maybe not to cut you off at one question. So in this, for example, and, and this might just be, you know, not normal time of year, but like in the sell off, the sell off happened so fast. It was the, the 30 day delay. I'm assuming that probably was enough of a delay to probably like, did it, did it kind of mess with the, the buy and sell component of what you're doing in this um, situation? Well, yeah, really good question. So what's really interesting is some fund managers are more cowboys and cowgirls than others. So meaning that they act a lot faster than other people who have to act slower. Ah, okay. So those that are more cowboys, they sell early and they buy early. And so these are the types of funds that I watch just so many different types of uh, funds and different activity. So you would have seen this on the January report. They were doing this in December. We found out about all of this starting around November, but it was really, there was a lot of problems happening all throughout November and December. Okay. So it showed up. Again, you don't know, but you're trying your best to tell a story to myself and saying, okay, well, what does this mean? And every single month for free, I share these trends that I see. And for premium members, I share the specific stocks and I, I do a lot more handholding. Um, the major change happened. So there's two parts to my process. So in May, I saw them buying this recovery story. So it was Marriott, Hilton, uh, casinos, uh, there's Penn National Gaming. Sometimes my trend roadmap, my, my technical analysis process will tip me off. So it was tipping me off in pretty much early February that something looked wrong in 2020. And then the data, then you kind of piece the, piece the fund manager buying together. And then I actually got a technical signal that in April of 2020, that I got my very first buy signal from okay. my technical side of my process, but I didn't get the billion dollar fund information until that May. So to, by putting those two together, you're still in way before everyone else. This is, I always say, this is the time where we were still washing our groceries yeah, and we were, okay. still, we were still freaked out. But some of these kind of cowboy, these early managers that, that do early buying, they were in there in May. Um, but the technical signals, because these, these vicious Vs that kind of go down and up really fast, they're really hard to play. Um, but I just trust the technical signal because it's based on math. Yeah, right. Um, so this is kind of the, the synopsis of what I saw. And what's really interesting is pretty much from April of 2020 through March of this year, this was this inflation recovery uh, energy, financials, cyclicals, things that you that just got decimated were coming back. The major shift happened again in April of this year. And I sent this out to paid and free. I said, tech is down, but not out. 
And pretty much what I saw was billion dollar fund managers just started accumulating lots of technology stocks. And they were buying exactly what you're mentioning, which is Amazon, a lot of the large caps. And they were consistently doing this for, for months. And it started primarily this transition from recovery to technology. Hmm. And if you want to kind of put a story behind it, usually what happens is as growth is exploding so fast because it went, it went to a halt in 2020, that at some point growth slows a little bit. And if growth slows a little bit and inflation slows a little bit, then technology is usually your benefactor um, mm. because they're not, in essence, rates aren't flying up, um, which we can talk about what's going on today. So I shared this little breakout. Again, technical analysis is a very small part of my process, but you can kind of see from April, May, June, July, August, and September, tech has been the darling of the market this year. But at the beginning of the year, you kind of saw that chop where starting in February of this current year, it kind of pulled back pretty violently. Um, but now you've been on kind of off to the races. Yeah, right. The, Very cool. So the major thing I would share is from April, May, and June, just so this kind of this tech tech run, things that I saw, um, I wish I could deliver everything and have a million things on my list for, for everybody, but it was like NVIDIA, it was Amazon, Google, Snap, Twitter, and a lot of these retail names that some of you might be familiar with, others you might not, but it's, these took a while to come back because people really weren't leaving the house. So this was retail names like Academy Sports and Outdoors down in Texas, uh, Dick's Sporting Goods, and some financials like Capital One and JP Morgan. And I didn't see that much selling, so it's kind of hard, um, but they were selling some of the dollar generals of the world. Um, if inflation does go up, if you're selling something for a dollar, um, your margins are going to get squeezed. So oh, that's, that's an interesting one I hadn't thought about is just, you know, I'm, yeah, obviously like inflation's like the story right now for like a dollar general. That's a good point. Like you don't, you can't start being like, well, we're $2 general now. <laughs> you, you have to. So, yeah. so don't be surprised in the next several months or years that you're going to see a dollar plus dollar general plus oh, or five below plus. So they five below already does it. So you go in there thinking it's five bucks, but there's a whole section of stuff that's way more than five bucks. So, so they can't compete if their goods, think about it, shipping the goods and making the goods are going up. Yeah, the, right. the buck doesn't make sense. So uh, gold's been a tough one and some, I don't know why, but CoStar was a sale. I'm not totally sure why. But that's interesting get... too, is uh, this is what I love about what you're doing. Just for people listening, there, there is that kind of component of what you're doing that cuts out all of the like mental games and you're just going off of data, which at the end of the day, like that's what kind of matters. Right. So it's, I mean, to your point, you're like, well, I don't really know why, but they are selling. So it's a sell. Yeah. And like, don't get me wrong. You could apply a narrative to everything. Um, yeah. but it's, I just, it's just data. It really, really is just simply, this is what's going on. Um, I'm going to go to the more recent buying and selling this. in All a right. minute. So, so okay. hang with us to the end for that. So, so the Shane index, I've named it for you. So appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. So this was your list that you started emailing out in 2020 of the things I commend you. You were buying 
in the Warren Buffett, the buy when there's blood in the streets. So I oh, appreciate that. Yeah, that's been a that was a hard lesson learned, though. I will I'll be honest, like that was just me lucking into figuring that one out because I sold a ton of my stuff in uh, like end of February, early March, which was the dumbest thing I've ever done. But lesson learned. Well, I mean, to look at some of your some of your gainers are huge. So I commend you. So what I simply wanted to do to make this kind of fun and entertaining is your losses are so small and few, but I wanted to share one loss and give you some two cents on it uh, based on my process and then share one of your humongous gainers. Oh, sweet. Okay. So we'll start with Hormel Foods, ticker HRL and Hormel Foods um, they make anything from, it looks like, uh, meats, muscle milk, spam, skippy, avocado, or guacamole, salsa. So it's a huge array of, spam, of Spams are big one. Yeah. Spam. <laughs> um, I, uh, so Hormel foods was on your list. Any thoughts before I go into anything? You know, I think, I think I threw this one on the list again, thinking, at the time, this is a company who's been around for a long time, whether they get hit with the storm, I'm sure they could and would, but people are going to need to eat. And I felt like long-term there's no way that like it, well, it, I guess my more, more of my thought was if Hormel goes out of business, we're all in bigger trouble than just worrying about what we're invested in. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that's, that's fair. I mean, it's like a, sorry, I think our heads are blocking it, but it's not going to make that big of a difference. But so, um, so you bought shares according to your spreadsheet at 48.38. Sorry, we're kind of cutting it off a little bit. But what I would just simply say is, so the stock was pretty volatile. I'm going to see if my can. Um, okay. So my initial comments are, I personally didn't see at that time period, uh, I've been doing this for years. So I didn't see very little to almost no billion dollar fund manager buying. So before you bought, this is all okay. the kind of the before mental sure. game. Yeah. Um, they had relatively slow sales and slow earnings before you bought. And it was a really volatile chart. Again, a technical analysis is it is what it is. I mean, don't get me wrong. Everything was pretty volatile. So their earnings report before you bought, they showed a whopping 2% earnings growth and a 1% sales growth. So they're growing something is slowing them down. I don't totally know why people aren't buying their products or they're spending too much money or something's fundamentally challenged with the stock. So fundamentally it was growing really, really slow versus other food makers. Okay. Um, the first red arrow. So starting in February of 2020, everything looks like this. So everything looks horrible because of the coronavirus snap down. So everything looks awful. What's really interesting is at the middle of March, Hormel Foods spiked. And I think you just said it perfectly is people have to eat and they're going to eat this and spam last in your cabinet probably forever. Right. I'm going to say on a limb, it's going to last decades. So, but then it's, it got slammed back down again at the end of March. And then you were buying sometime around April, according to your spreadsheet. I don't know the exact day, but I know the price. So I just kind of pinned where I thought you were buying around. Uh, based upon your price. So the chart was all over the place. So it's kind of like pretty extra violent more than other stocks. Um, so Hormel Foods, 
Again, contextually, it's nothing, but it was down 15% from where you bought it. Almost all your stocks are up huge. So I had to search high and far for a stock that didn't do very well. So this one sucked. But (laughs) if I look, not necessarily. So if you look at the earnings reports um, since you bought, um, no earnings growth, negative 9% earnings growth. This is from marketsmith.com. And then sales was pretty slow. Obviously everything slowed down at that time period. uh, Shelves were having a hard time being restocked. But what's really, really interesting recently about Hortmel is they're actually, it's not so much how the slowness of growth, but it's relative to what you recently did. So the rate of change. So you're actually, your sales are growing much faster recently. And this is your most recent earnings report and your earnings are actually increasing. So here's my two cents on Hormel today, is if you look at a technical analysis, this one indicator that a lot of people who like charts look at called relative strength. And sometimes you want to own things. So if the stock market's going up, you want your stock to go up more. Right, and if the right. stock market's going down, you do not want your stock to go down worse or further. Sure, so sure. you want to have relative strength to the stock market. You're comparing yourself versus a basket of stocks. So what I would simply say is right now, you're very oversold on Hormel. What's really interesting in that that indicator shows it that you're, there's so many indicators. I won't get into the depth about technical analysis, but you're actually more oversold today than you were during the coronavirus. Hmm. So interesting. Hormel Foods is so unloved at this moment that I actually, my opinion, I could be wrong and I'm not going to track this stock religiously going forward, but you're kind of getting closer to support right around $40 a share. Again, anything is possible over the next couple of days and weeks. So you're trading around 40 bucks on a day when the stock market's having a hard time, it's flat. My take is that you actually find support pretty soon. You actually bounce. So because of the rate of changes improving. Um, so this stock hasn't treated you well. I think everyone's next question is, what do I do? Um, and in my opinion, which I, anything is just an opinion. Um, I don't see billion dollar fund managers buying, so I wouldn't own it. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if you get a bounce. So I'll stop there for Hormel Foods. Nice. Love that. Appreciate that overview. That's really cool. And for everyone who uh, is not watching, I would, I would ask you to jump over to YouTube and I'll actually I'll add the link to the show notes. I think this is really cool to see. Very cool. And, and Scott, not to, I know we're going to the big game next, just to let you know, we've, I have a hard stop at the top of the hour. So I totally. uh, just want well, to I'll, know that too. I'll go super fast on the this big game. Everyone's going to be pumped for this one though. I'm excited. Ooh, Let's snap. Do snap. All right. So you bought it at 19 bucks. Um, it had billion dollar fund manager buying. Uh, growing sales, not consistent earnings because they spend a lot of money, they're growing fast and a very constructive chart. So my research showed that this is net buying. So there's some selling and buying, but um, 65 million, 34 million, 54 million, you're getting, these are, I'm looking for things around, so about 0.25% of the market cap impact. So you're getting these impact buying um, is what I'm seeing during that time period where Snap was only valued at $28 billion and sneak peek, it's now $131 billion. So wow, Snap yeah. has done exceptionally well. The earnings report before you bought, they blew the doors out. They had 44% sales earnings. They share price went up 20% that day of the earnings. So their, their users are up 20%. They're growing really, really fast. 
the chart's pretty. Some technical people would call that a cup and handle. And you're about to break out over your IPO high. So oh, wow. some, some stocks IPO and then die. But the moment they get over their IPO high, which was back in 2017, then no one else has losses. It's all gains for everybody. Mm, so yeah. if we zoom back out, you have done exceptional up 300% in Snap. Should have put everything in Snap. <laughs> everything in Snap in that one oil position. Yeah. So, uh, so Snap has done exceptionally well. Now, do, how do these billion-dollar fund managers know? They have the resources. They have the interviewability. They do modeling better than most of us. Um, look at those sales numbers. They're all double digit, some triple digit. The earnings are through the roof. Wow. Yeah. Look at that. The COVID index is up uh, nicely because of snap. So you've made 300% um, on snap since we're coming to us on time. Any questions on snap? No, I mean, I think this is one of those ones where um, just being, you know, I tech and, and where I knew everyone's focus was going to go to their phones and computers. They're at home all the time. Like it just, it made a lot of sense to me. Um, uh, but honestly I got lucky. So, um, but that, that's, what's interesting is like, there's, there's a little bit of art and a little bit of science. And I think you you definitely bring the science. So thank you for walking through that. Um, because we are running out of time too, Scott, I wanted to make sure. So for everyone listening, obviously you've heard two great examples of, of what I sucked at. And hopefully you may, you guys, but some of you guys bought Snapchat cause that, that did really well. Um, I will add all the, all the links and everything, of course, but what can people expect if they join your newsletter or if they want to become a premium member and just any info around that so people can, can jump on and, and start to make some real money? That's awesome. Well, first, if you go to investwithrules.com for free, um, I offer a, a once a week email. It uh, covers some interesting ideas and some trends. And I share kind of the general trend of US stocks, foreign stocks, bonds, and gold, just to keep you on the right side of the trend. And usually once a month, I'll kind of cover uh, what I see a lot of these billion dollar funds, kind of their, their sectors that they're buying. So whether that's tech or more recently, I actually see a lot more kind of this move back to that recovery trade. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't be shocked to see more oil and financial start to do better as that's occurring at this moment. And then for the premium members, what you're simply going to get is an awful lot more. So you're going to get the specific names of the stocks. Um, you're going to get the buy, sell, and hold opinions, both more if you're more longer term or shorter term, um, some index funds. So it's been a lot more fun to be in energy this year than it has to be in the S&P 500. Don't get me wrong, the S&P is up like 17%, but energy is up, gosh, almost like 40 to 50% this year. Oh, wow. wow. Um, and your energy stock is, that's your best position in your I know. portfolio. That one's done really well. Yeah. And that's probably going to keep continuing. So good on you. Um, but that's, that's, uh, that's me and invest with rules. And I'd love you to uh, become a member and sign up. Awesome. Well, thank you, Scott. I, uh, I will add all those links to the show notes and I'm sure everyone will want to go check it out. I appreciate you putting all that uh, work into giving these examples to, I think it's really helpful. Again, I'll add the YouTube link so everyone can go and watch it. Cause I think if you actually see the charts and, and have Scott walk you through it, it's really beneficial versus just listening to it. So Scott, thank you so much for coming on my friend. We'll have to do this again. This was a blast having you on for a second time. It was a pleasure, Shane. Thanks so much. Good All right. See thanks Scott. See ya. <laughs>